Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. Time for a special episode. It's a pleasure to say I'm joined by BBC Five Lives' Ian Dennis. He's going to be up at St James's Park to see Newcastle kick off the new season against Nottingham Forest and Five Live have exclusive UK coverage of that game. Ian, thank you very much for popping on to the pod. You must be looking forward to the new season kicking off. I am. I uh, did the Community Shield last weekend, which uh, whetted the appetite for the, the new Premier League season. And very much looking forward to this game. I've got to say, I'm surprised that it's not on television. I thought the way that Newcastle finished last season and the prospect of Nottingham Forest being back in the top flight, I thought that it would have been um, a TV pick. But um, that's Radio 5's gain. It means that we can have the uh, the commentary on on Radio Five with our usual goal service and 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 as always, as often I do, you know, look forward to going to St James's Park. It's a very intriguing game, isn't it? With Forest, the newly promoted side, Newcastle finishing so strongly last season. Where does your focus kind of lie in your preparation for this game? Because there's so many different elements, I guess, rolling into this one. Yeah, I always find it very difficult at the start of a new season um, because. You can talk about Newcastle's form at the end of last season, but that, of course, bears no relevance to this time. So you tend to look at the new signings um, and really um, focus a lot more probably on Nottingham Forest, because I think a lot of people will be focusing on them back in the top flight for, what, 23 years. Um, I mean, I can remember when Newcastle under Kevin Keegan in 94 and Forrest the following year in 95, both of those two teams took the Premier League by storm. In fact, I think if you look back, they're probably still the best finishes of a, of a newly promoted side. I don't think we're going to get that. I think those, the, those days have, have gone now. But I still think Forrest will be a surprise package uh, in the top flight this season. And I think the atmosphere will be absolutely cracking because obviously the last few games of last season, I think the supporters at St. James's Park really made a difference, um, you know, with with war flags and whatever else. So I, I can't wait to see what mosaic's going to be unveiled. But I think also with the Forest supporters as well in, in numbers, I think the atmosphere is going to be brilliant. Mm, it's set to be a really good display. I've been given a little bit of insight into what it's, it's going to be. And of course, war flags put on displays for the, the two pre-season games at St. James's Park on Friday and Saturday, and there was close to, I think, about 90,000 people there over the weekend, yeah. which is amazing. It shows you the demand as well for tickets. A lot of those that were there uh, in them pre-season clashes probably won't be able to get to, to many games this season because the demand is so high. I mean, the Forest tickets sold out really quickly. Um, what have you made of Newcastle, first of all, the atmosphere before the takeover and, and you know the games since? Well, I've been very fortunate that I covered Newcastle United in the mid-90s. So I know all about what the Newcastle supporters are like and what sort of backing they can generate home and away. Uh, and equally, I know that when you get momentum behind the club, what a force that can be. And Eddie Howe is starting to get that. There is that momentum. We saw that at the tail end of, of last season. Uh I think it's great from a neutral's point of view that that apathy and that element of a toxic nature has disappeared from St. James's Park because I think now it's a, it's an environment where people can thrive. And um, 
listen, you, everyone knows, you don't need me to tell you that it can be a juggernaut when you get the place going. Um, I think there's been an element of frustration with the transfer window. Um, but if that can change over the next six weeks and they can bring in the players that Eddie Howe clearly wants to bring in, then Newcastle United are a club very much looking upwards and not stagnating. Because as we all know, they stagnated so badly under the Mike Ashley regime. And in terms of Eddie Howe himself, obviously he did a brilliant job at Bournemouth. It didn't end too well for him. He spent a lot of time out of the game. He could have gone up to to manage Celtic, but he held out and he obviously eventually became manager of Newcastle United. What have you made of his time in charge of the club so far? What I like about is the fact that and I remember the Watford game in January where Watford scored quite late on and he still made a sort of like a, a gesture of going towards the supporters and how he's unified the, the fans. But I think when you speak to him, he's quite measured, isn't he? Never gets carried away with a win, never gets too downbeat with a defeat. And I think probably that is the best way to, to approach um, football in, in the North East, you know, because as we... We know emotions can run high and expectations can sometimes get away from you. So I think that level of focus is a, is a good thing from, from Eddie Howe. Uh, but the results speak for themselves. If, if you look at Liverpool and Manchester City, the only two sides who actually had a better points return from the final 19 games of last season. Um, so I think he's, he's done. The, the results speak for themselves in many ways with what he's achieved so far. In terms of yourself, what was the last game at St James's Park you covered last season? I think it probably was that Watford game. I think uh, it's funny until I until I actually look at my notes, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it probably was Watford. I did the Cambridge United game, the FA Cup, and then I think I did Watford. I think that was my last last time at St James's. It's amazing to think. I mean, that Cambridge game, I was up in level seven and. The, the I mean Cambridge thoroughly deserved the, the yeah. result, but you you were left you were left scratching your head thinking, how are Newcastle going to get get out of this? Because you know they they only just beaten Burnley a few weeks prior. They picked up a good draw against Manchester United, but I I did leave that Cambridge game thinking this is this doesn't look good. And then you fast forward a few weeks to go on that amazing run of form. You get to you know the end of the season, like you, you mentioned there pretty much close to the, or if not top of the, the form table. It's been a, an amazing turnaround. When Eddie Howe was appointed, did you did you feel that that was something he was capable of doing, of not just helping Newcastle survive, but actually taking them up a, another another level so quickly? Yeah, it's funny because that cup defeat, I thought, would have been a, a real body blow in terms of morale. But the Watford game where I was at, that was, a, a I thought, was probably more damaging because you had a relegation rival denying Newcastle United three points. And at that stage, you're thinking, are Newcastle going to get out of it? And the fact that they were able to get the, the level of points, the return, I mean, if they can replicate that this year, you're looking at a team challenging for, for, for Europe. Um, so I just think full credit to the players um, and, and the manager. I think the Kieran Trippier signing was was a really good bit of business, both on and off the pitch. I think that gave the club a little bit of a catalytic. I think it, his his qualities gave the club hope, and uh, and they've used that as a stepping stone. Uh, and obviously, 
in the end finishing 11th made a mockery of everybody who thought that they could have at one stage been in real jeopardy to go down. Mm. I mean, you mentioned Trippier there. They brought in also the likes of Dan Byrne, Chris Wood. So they've got that Premier League experience, but then they've gone out and got someone like Bruno Gomeresh, who just looks a class above. He he looks like a really, really good player. Have you been uh, surprised at how well he's kind of fitted into the Premier League? Yeah, because sometimes it takes players, you know, a good six months to uh, to settle. And understandably so when, you know, you know, players like that are coming to the to the Premier League and having to accept with the uh, the, the rigours and the demands of, of the top flight. But I thought that the Trippier signing in particular, I thought that set the stone, set the tone rather, because um, I've had the pleasure of speaking to him a number of times with England. And I think he's got the, the leadership qualities, the way he communicates uh, and both on and off the pitch, even when he was probably out injured. And that was a real blow when he'd settled in so well. I just thought that was a really, really good acquisition. And also, I think it showed as well to other players that Newcastle United can attract established internationals. Because as we know, sometimes that's a problem with the North East, is bringing those players away from the, the glamour, the lights of, of London. You know, that's been a long-standing issue for, for football in the North East. So for Kieran Trippier to, to come to St. James's Park, I think that was a, it was a signing of intent. Mm. Yeah, he's been a breath of fresh air. You know, he's like we mentioned, they've got really good leadership qualities. There's, yeah. there's moments when you, when he was on the touchline, he was maybe a sub, just coming back from that injury, and you could see him gesturing to um, either Emil Kraft or whoever was out there, just trying to pull him into position. You know, little things like getting the ball and quickly throwing it back to the to, to whoever was on the pitch. Just little things like that, and he's so vocal as well. And for where Newcastle are going on this journey of building the foundations to hopefully a successful future. That kind of experience and know-how is going to be crucial. It is. If you remember um, back in the day when, I think when Newcastle had got relegated in, was it 2009? Yeah. And then they'd got humped at Lake Norian, was it, in a pre-season friendly? And you had players in the dressing room then, people such as Alan Smith, Kevin Nolan, Steve Harper, Joey Barton, a manager will rely on lieutenants in the dressing room to set the standards and sometimes to give the rollickings if the manager isn't going to do it. And Kieran Trippier strikes me as that type of person with his experience, his leadership qualities. And I would imagine that he's one of the perfect lieutenants for Eddie Howe. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Jamal LaSalle has referenced the fact that at times before the takeover, he struggled to to keep a positive kind of vibe going through the, the dressing room. But now he's got fellow leaders with him yeah. and concentrate on other elements of the game. I mean, also, Eddie Howe has got the likes of Ryan Fraser and Callum Wilson, their players. He's worked closely with Matt Ritchie's another one. How key do you think that's been to just helping Eddie Howe settle in a little bit, knowing that he's got these trusted lieutenants that he has worked with before and he can rely on to to help get the message out, whether it's about training or fitness or whatever the message might might need to be. Yeah, I'm sure it was a, a big help too, because the players will have been in the ears of, of Callum Wilson and Ryan Fraser saying, what's he like? But um, people will have known about Eddie Howe anyway for what he's achieved at, uh, at, at Bournemouth. Um, and you, you can't not what he's achieved so far at, at Newcastle United. I do think that he still needs to get players in. I think um, I can understand that it must have been a very frustrating transfer market for him at the minute. And it's inevitable in a way with Newcastle United's 
newfound wealth that clubs are going to be asking for a little bit more. Uh, but it's important that Newcastle United don't panic buy, that they still go after the focus targets, the players that they've been pursuing for a while, because it's very easy to sort of like make that knee-jerk reaction in the transfer market. And then the expectations rise because you've signed six players. It's important to, to get the right player rather than just any player. Definitely. I think that's what's been quite impressive about them as well, is the fact that their top two targets this summer were their top two targets, arguably in January, aside from Gumaresh when they went after Botman in a tech year. They've stuck by it. They've got one and obviously one's gone elsewhere, but they've not had this scattergun approach. And because it's, 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 it's difficult in one way, isn't it? If you start, you know, bowing to pressure from selling clubs, it's very difficult to come back up that road once you've started paying these, these, these silly demands. Absolutely, it is, yeah. And also, Newcastle are having to do it differently to Manchester City. If you think when Manchester City were taken over in 2008, they accelerated their way to challenge to the top four. You know, they brought in players such as Rubinho, Carlos Tevez, Gareth Barry, Julian Lescott, uh, Adebayor, Colo Torre. They had a, a sustained spell in the first two or three windows where they really did splash the cash. And they needed to do that in order to accelerate their way to challenge for the top four. Newcastle United aren't going to do that. The, the, the process is going to be uh, a little bit more, it's going to be a slower process, a steady process in comparison to what Manchester City did. And with that in mind, I think it's unfair and unrealistic for Newcastle United to be seen as a challenger towards the top four. I know Newcastle fans will say, well, hold on, look at what we achieved in the second half of last season and the points tally that we gained in those 19 games. But are you expecting Newcastle to finish above of Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal and Manchester United? The answer is no. So I think it would be unfair on Eddie Howe to expect Newcastle United to be challenging for the Champions League. And sometimes a manager isn't going to come out and say that, you know, because that would be shooting himself in the foot. But I think it's for others who judge uh, neutrally and impartially to actually say, well, that actually is an unrealistic expectation for Newcastle United. Newcastle have got to break, maybe targeting top eight, a good cup run, try and get into the fringes of, of, of Europe to try and maybe remove a Leicester or a West Ham United. That would be a much more realistic ambition with the players that they've signed so far. It might well change in the next six weeks if they can bring in three or four more players, but I think that's probably unlikely. Mm. I think from a neutral point of view, it's it's been refreshing to see West Ham and Leicester, you know, try and gear crash that top six. And do you think the Premier League kind of needs that? It needs a bit of a refresh where you have other clubs aside from you know the, the big clubs there at the top trying to come in and trying to really well, qualify for for Champions League football. Yeah, I mean, we obviously Leicester win. They won the title twenty sixteen. We've seen West Ham United flirt with the, the Champions League. I mean, when I covered the club, Newcastle United were in the Champions League. So they, they were dining at the top table. But the game has now moved on to such ridiculous levels that it's going gonna, it's gonna to take time for Newcastle United to try and prize their way and, and, and get past Chelsea, a Tottenham or an Arsenal. Because if we're honest, the top two, and I saw them at the Community Shield last week, they are streets above of everybody else, Liverpool and Manchester City. So for Newcastle, uh, they they have got to try and get past those other clubs I mentioned, but they've got to get into Europe's Europa League first of all, 
and maybe have a consistent couple of seasons there before they can then try and bridge that gap. I think I, I think it's too much to expect Newcastle United just to gate crash the top four. And I think it's unfair on Eddie Howe for him to expect to do that straight away. I think it's got to be a gradual process. I 100% agree. We, we just recorded another podcast uh, just prior to this recording. And I was talking to, to the other guest about what to expect. And I said, you know, if Newcastle get 12th, 11th and a cup run, that, that would do me and anything else is a bonus because it is all about what's to come down the road, <clears throat> not necessarily, <clears throat> pardon me, um, you know, that immediate success because it's going to take time. Um, we mentioned Leicester there. Newcastle are heavily involved with trying to get James Madison up the road to St. James's Park. What would you make of that deal if Newcastle managed to secure Madison's signature? It'd be very exciting. I mean, he's, he's funny. I was just doing a podcast with one of your colleagues down in Nottingham and he was saying who to look forward to. And I love watching Sam Maxima because it, it gets you to the edge of your seat. Um, I think if Madison came to Newcastle United, you'd have a real entertainer. You know, somebody who can create something out of nothing. Uh, the number of goals he scores, he's a threat, but he's assists. I just think he's a very, very talented young man. So I think if Newcastle United were to bring him to the northeast, it would uh, it would not only right it would weaken a rival for one of those places that Newcastle are looking for, but it would be a player who I think would be uh, it would be very, very popular on Tyneside for the type of footballer that he is. He seems to, you know, he plays football with a smile. Hmm. I mean, do you think Newcastle is a project for someone? That, that, that attracts someone like Madison because when takeover happens and even prior, I was one of these people who would, who would say Leicester is where Newcastle need to aim for in terms of the facilities, their ambition. You know, They want to be a top six side consistently. They've got a good manager in place, some really good players. It would just be interesting that so quickly Newcastle have managed to, to, to potentially snap up one of the key elements of that Leicester side. I know they've got a bit of financial uh, struggles at the moment, but it would still just represent an amazing step forward for Newcastle to manage to get someone of that quality. Yeah, it would. Bearing in mind that Leicester City, I know they've not really signed anybody this summer, but up until now, they've retained a lot of the players who've been linked with moves away for Farner, Tielemans. And so Leicester City, who were ravaged by injury last year, if they could actually keep the nucleus of that squad, then you would still expect Leicester City to be there or thereabouts. You know, um, I think Leicester City as a football club are an excellent model um, in terms of their recruitment has been very, very good over recent years. The training facilities are excellent. Uh, they've had a good run in the, in the cup, obviously. They've got a very good manager in Brendan Rodgers. Um, but Newcastle United, that's where Newcastle United should be. That's what Newcastle United should be. At the very, very least, you know, a, a club that is challenging for, for, for the Cups, looking to challenge for Europe. That's what Newcastle United should be aspiring to be. And I'm sure, given time, they will be under Eddie Howe. Yeah, fingers crossed. The other player I just want to quickly talk about is, is Callum Wilson. You know, a, a, a really good striker when he's fit. But he does have that slight injury record. When you look at Callum Wilson and you consider everything, I mean, how important is it, do you think, Newcastle for Newcastle to get in another striker before the window closes? Yeah, 
I think um, it's one of the areas I think that, that they're looking to try and strengthen, isn't it, that, um, in that area? Um, because A, it takes the, the pressure off Callum Wilson, but his injury record is obviously a, a bit of a concern. But I think when he's fit, he will score you the goals. Um, and that's what I think you need. We were talking before um, to the guy from Nottingham, Matt, about if you don't score 40 goals in a season as a club, you're going to be struggling. You're going to be there or thereabouts down in the relegation zone because uh, that's a fact. But if you then can get a regular goal scorer, proven goal scorer, who's going to get you maybe 15 plus in the top flight, you can then be looking upwards. And I think Callum Wilson, without a shadow of a doubt, if he stays fit, has more than got that ability to score you those 15 goals to try and propel you towards the top half of the season. So if Newcastle United can bring somebody in uh, with a proven pedigree in order to either play alongside him or support him, then um, that's very much a, a target that they will look to try and accomplish. Do you think if he stays fit, he could help lead the line for England at the World Cup in November? That's going to be one of his aims. But I think the way that Newcastle United, sorry, the way that England play now, it'll be very, very hard for him to get back into that World Cup squad. I think he'll really have to hit the ground running. Only because... If you're looking at a 26-man squad, Gareth Southgate may only take four out-and-out strikers. Um, and at the minute, Callum Wilson, because of his injuries and the fact that he hasn't really been with the England squad on a regular basis, is a little bit further down the pecking order. So I think that Callum Wilson's got to hit the ground running in order to try and force himself back into the reckoning for a place in Qatar. Mm, it's going to be an interesting one. You mentioned that you know, you're a big fan of Alan St. Maxman. Um, what is it about him you think fans just love? Is it the fact that you know when he's running, he he is a, he is a delight with a ball at his feet? Is that the kind of thing you think gets fans off their seats? Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a he's a little magician. You know, when the ball's at his feet, as a commentator, you go to the edge of your seat because you know that something's going to happen, and you can hear as well within the supporters at St James's Park that excitement because that air of anticipation that you don't know what he's going to do. I mean, I remember Tino Espria and I remember commentating on Espria and saying half the time he doesn't know what he's going to do, you know, let alone anybody else. And that applies to Sam Maximan at times. So uh, very, very exciting. And sometimes I think as well that the end product and the, his goals return, if he can improve that as well, then he's only, he's only going to get better. Fingers crossed. And just, just another brief uh, comment on someone else who's caught the eyes, Joe Linton. He yeah. had time when he first arrived, given that number nine shirt. Didn't look like a, a centre forward at all, especially not in the same ilk as those who have gone before him at Newcastle. And yet, all of a sudden, placed in this centre midfield role, he just looks like a totally different player. What have you made of his transformation? Completely surprised by the way that he's rejuvenated himself. And fair play to him before we talked before about Bruno Gumeresh and how hard it must be to try and adapt. And I think he did find it difficult. And then you think he's got to deal with the lockdown and everything else during the pandemic. Um, but when I saw him at Hoffenheim, he was, he was never a centre forward. When I saw him at Hoffenheim in the Champions League, he played on the left-hand side. Um, but he's, he's, he's a man transformed. Um, and full credit, full credit to him and, and, and the coaching staff in order for encouraging that. Um, and now all of a sudden he's playing with a, 
with a belief. He's got the confidence because he's no longer being booed and jeered and uh, he's, he's prospering. It's brilliant to see against Bilbao. There was a bit of an arrogance about him, the way, you know, he was bringing the ball down and just going about the pitch, but like, like a positive arrogance, like, you know, I think everyone's just really excited to see if he can maintain that form. Um, but that I just Andrew to the, to the, this, the actual atmosphere within the ground as well. You know, before we talked before about it being quite toxic, that isn't an environment for anybody to try and go out and play their football. And yet when you've then got this atmosphere that is fully supportive and fully behind every player, then all of a sudden that belief and that confidence, you can see it in the individuals. They're able to then start doing things without the fear that they're, oh, they're going to get booed. Uh, and they're able to express themselves more. And it is a much more healthier, conducive atmosphere for the players to go out and play. And everybody benefits. Mm, 100%. And now, what I would like to ask you just, just finally is, is a bit about your job and your role on a match day and how you kind of get across the the atmosphere and the noise around you while you're still trying to do your job. I mean, do you feel a responsibility to to those listening to to get that, you know, to get that across? Yeah, I often think of a, a blind friend who sadly is no longer with us anymore, but I think that he's sat alongside me. So, um, I mean, you're very fortunate when you're at St. James's Park uh, that the atmosphere, you, you don't need to ex to describe the atmosphere, you can hear it for yourselves. If, if anything, at times, you just need to, to try and keep keep quiet and let it let the, the listener hear it. Um, the biggest problem, and this has happened a few times, and I remember Paul Dummett rattling one in, in a 3-3 draw. I was working with Alan Shearer at the time, and the noise was just, you, you, you're having to fight the crowd with your voice. In fact, I did the 4-4 draw as well back in the day under Alan Pardew, when Czech Teoti knocked one in from... I mean, that was still one of the most remarkable comebacks you're ever likely to see. And I still refer back to it now because Newcastle were 4-0 down midway through the second half. And you think anything's possible. So um, that's one of the biggest problems at Newcastle is having to, to ride the crowd, fight against the crowd with, with the atmosphere. Um, and also... We're a little bit further low down than I probably would like. I like the, the elevation. So sometimes the TV gantry is great because you can see the play opening up in front of you. I don't like being too low down. And although it gives you an insight in that press box, as you know, you can hear the managers and engage what's going on there. I prefer the elevation so I can see the play unfolding before my eyes. Well, if everything goes to plan on Saturday, especially pre-game, I think you might uh, you might have another fight on your hands to deal with the noise because it's going to be very special. Just I'm before, looking forward to it. It's, yeah, it's going to be brilliant, and fingers crossed it all comes off. And um, just before I uh, ask you kind of what you're expecting on Saturday between the two sides, um, I just want to ask you just like how much do you enjoy what you do? Another Premier League season coming up. You know, many people uh, would would love to be in your position, and uh, you've done it for many years. I, I guess every day you just must love picking up that microphone and, you know, bringing the football, the, what's happening on the pitch to the people. Yeah, very fortunate and uh, very privileged as well. Um, Radio Newcastle was my first full-time job in 96. And it was a great learning curve for me. Uh, and I, 
very and, and I'll never I'll never take for granted the position that we're in that we can watch top class football for free. Um, so it's just it's just it's just it's just brilliant. I just I love football, um, and if I wasn't watching it, I'd be I'd be going I'd be I'd be somewhere else going to you know wasn't watching it for my job. I'd be going to watch it as a as a as a spectator. And I remember John Motson when I was a teenager, um, 1988, sent me a letter just saying determination and enthusiasm are the two biggest attributes that you'll ever require in order to do the job. And if you haven't got that enthusiasm, then you shouldn't be doing the job because we're very, very fortunate to do what we do. So the enthusiasm is comes second hand and the determination is just to try and enjoy it and, and, and do the best you can. Uh, so, yeah. And being at St. James's Park on Saturday, I mean, I love the start of the season anyway. Uh, the Football League last weekend was brilliant. Uh, it's just such a great time as a football fan at the start of any campaign. But to be at St. James's at the weekend, it's one of those occasions where I'm really, really looking forward to it. Because, as you say, the atmosphere ahead of it is going to be spine tingling. Mm. I didn't know about the BBC Radio Newcastle gig. That might explain why there's a time bridge then over your shoulder. I was wondering if there is a time bridge picture there or is it yeah, the it is. Uh, time bridge? It is a time bridge. So Yeah, that was that was given to me by uh, an old colleague of mine called John Boyd. I left, I left Radio Leeds um, and he was aware when I left Radio Leeds of how special the time bridge is to me. Um, and so, yeah, it stands pride of place in my office. <laughs> it's a brilliant bridge. And thankfully, it's getting a, uh, getting a paying job as well in the not-too-distant future because it definitely needs it. Um, just to finish off then, just some of what you're expecting on and off the pitch on Saturday with the new season kicking off. I think a spinting atmosphere ahead of kickoff, uh, a raucous atmosphere throughout the game, uh, two sets of supporters who are going to really, really try and make the, 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 the difference and make their presence felt. Hopefully a good game of football. I think Forest will be uh, a surprise package this season. Um, and I think we'll have a score draw to entertain ourselves. Fingers crossed. It's a, an exciting game, as you referenced there. Uh, Ian, thank you very much for popping on to the Everything is Black and White podcast. You can find... Ian up at St James Park live on BBC Five Live on Saturday. The game kicks off at 3 pm. Build up will be in the hours before. To everyone tune in, thank you as always. And please remember to like and follow the podcast through your podcast provider and head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news. <laughs>